Reggae Uprising family and welcome to another episode. Thank you to all of you for your beautiful comments for last week's episode and all of your support through subscribing to Reggae Uprising podcast. If this is however the first time that you're coming across Reggae Uprising podcast, it is all about connecting people of the diaspora through culture, history and inspirational interviews combined with a love for reggae music. So if you want to be the first to hear, click the subscribe button now. Now also in the links in the description below, you can follow me, Daniil, and check out my reggae uprising videos that are uploaded every single Monday and where you can see me singing reggae music from all over the world. Now I'm looking forward to today's guest and I'm gonna get things started by playing her first selection before we get into the interview, which is Budja Banton, Untold Stories. I'm a living while I'm living to the Father I will pray. Only him know how we get through. Every day with only I kill the price. I'm a lady, we have to pay while our leaders play. We say who can afford to run, will run. But what about those who can't? They will have to stay. Opportunity, a scarce, scarce commodity. In this time I say, when mama spend her last, I'll send you the class. Never you ever play. It's a competitive world for low budget people. Spending the time while earning a nickel. Hard to ooh, it may tickle My cup is full to the brim I could go on and on The fool has never been told she has worked as a professional writer, then a journalist for seven years before arriving in the West Midlands where she gained a master's in film and television at the University of Birmingham. There she founded Caribbean pop-up cinema, bringing West Indian stories to UK audiences. She is a Caribbean creative in film and video production, as well as film exhibition. I would like to welcome my guest for today, Denise Blackman. Greetings and welcome, <laughs> Denise. Hey, Danielle, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for coming along to the show. What was the reason for that first selection? Um, the first selection, now that one, um, Buja Banton and Told Stories, I'm a huge fan of Buja Banton. Um, to me, he's kind of like a voice of the people. But for that one in particular, growing up in Barbados, um, there was one, we had one television station when I was growing up. We still kind of do only have one. Yeah. Wow. Um, but... So everything that we played, everything that was played and broadcast on that station was kind of like memorized by heart. So that was one video that they used to play constantly. Okay. Um, and I, I, so I loved it and I grew accustomed to it as a child. But then growing up, I like understanding what the message was. Um, I just love the fact that he was, you know, speaking on behalf of like the downtrodden. It felt like a real anthem, um, a, a poor people's anthem. So that, that touched me. Okay, you kind of answered the next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, as we're people of the diaspora, 
Um, let the Reggae Uprising podcast family, let, uh, let them know what your heritage is. I ask this question of everybody, just so we know. Yeah, so I am I'm Barbadian um, by birth. And yeah, I consider myself 100% Barbadian and everything that in, that, that entails. Uh, my, I come, <laughs> I come from a kind of weird mixture. My mother is American, Black American, so she has her roots elsewhere. My father also, his roots are Guyanese and European. So I, I do consider myself Barbadian, but it's funny. Um, yeah, growing up in Barbados, when we were taught about like the history of Barbados or where Barbadians may have come from, and I always identify with that. But getting older, realizing that none of my none of my parents actually had their heritage in Barbados, um, it kind of um, almost threw me for a second. Like, so what am I then? But yeah, I mean, you're born in a place. You love a place. You love the people. You love the culture. You can't. You can't deny that. So yeah, I'm a I'm I'm Barbadian and everything else. Okay, so you've never felt to go and explore that other part of your heritage at all? Um, I did. I was fortunate in the last year to get a little closer to my my grandmother on my father's side and kind of pick her brains a bit about that that side of my family. Um, on my mother's side, I know they were working to trace the ancestry going back, but I was never able to trace it, you know, as far back as I want to. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that I would really like to know. Okay. So how far back did you get then? How many generations did you manage to get My back? mother, I believe, was able to go back to her great, great grandmother. Um, and that still would have been within the United States. Okay. So in terms okay. of tracing it back to Africa, I still have no clue. Right. Um, I'm not any the wiser when it comes to that. So right now I'm just hypothesizing okay. and <laughs> theorizing and maybe, but it's just a lot of maybe right now. Okay. 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 So um, growing up in Barbados, mm -hmm. um, do you feel that you received a higher level of education than we have over in the UK? What do you feel like Ooh, about the comparison? That's, a, that's yeah? an interesting question. <laughs> well, Barbadians like to boast actually that we have one of the highest literacy rates in the world um, because we're like 98% literate. And then people always like to boast as well that Barbadians were the ones who were sent off to other Caribbean islands to teach and to be teachers and to teach English because we spoke English the best. And we... But then again, on the other side of that coin, Barbados was also one of the islands that were the best colonized. Right, okay. Um, okay. So what you, when you say best colonized? I say best with quotes around it uh -huh. um, because we were considered by England to be like the best example of how to, you know, colonize right. a, a, a nation okay. um, or country. Barbadians were known for being passive, for being obedient, for right. being a lot of those things, okay. um, which we can look at now as something that's very negative. But at that yeah. point in time, it's something that not only colonizers were proud of, but something that the natives were proud of as well. Right. Um, and even if you go back just, let's say, three, not even three, maybe two generations, two, three generations back in Barbados, you will find mm -hmm. old people, older people, older generations that still cling to the idea of, you know, the mother country as being England and, you know, 
calling themselves, calling Barbados Little England and that type of stuff. Right, okay. So, I mean, in terms of education, school smart, I would say we have one of the best education systems in the world. Okay. Um, but in terms of um, maybe independent thought, right. m- maybe innovation, maybe open-minded thinking, um, we're getting there, but I think we still have a long way to go. Okay. okay. So do you think in the Caribbean islands then there is a hierarchy of, or do you think everybody just thinks they're the best and that's it? Well, Caribbean people are very pro people, you know. And we have this um, this little kind of innocent little war between us. Mm-hmm. Um, the Caribbean is a very, is a place with a very rich history if you have the time to look into it. Um, we consider ourselves brothers and sisters, and at some point in the past, we tried to, um, and we did, develop the West Indian, um, well, a federation between us where we came together to kind of like, I guess what would have been the European Union of the Caribbean, a Caribbean Union. That fell apart, um, and there's, there is a bit of a rift between the, the islands with people accusing <laughs> the other of just feeling that they're better than everybody else, which might happen in other territories as well. Maybe in African countries, they might have the same thing. Maybe in Europe, they might have the same thing. Mm. So we definitely do have the same thing there. Um, but yes, Barbadians are proud people, and actually our our motto is called pride and industry. We definitely have a lot of pride. Um, but, you know, we we also do some great things, and we, just like the other Caribbean islands, we have a lot to be proud of um yeah sometimes it does get in the way of progress though yeah. but yeah the we do think of ourselves highly which could be to a fault sometimes okay, okay. <laughs> do you think that because you grew up in Barbados that um you've you've had the advantage of knowing more about your history than maybe um a black person that was brought up in the UK and therefore that you've benefited from that has helped to progress you more as a person because you're aware of your roots and your history more do you think it's made that makes any difference um i don't know i i I would find it hard to compare because i don't know what it would have been like for a, a person from the caribbean or with caribbean roots growing up here but what i do know is sometimes i meet somebody from the uk and i swear down that they're jamaican um accent you know the the culture like i feel i feel it and then i realize like the second generation or third generation okay. and i'm like hold what <laughs> <laughs> so i know that there's a there's a good retention of in this case jamaican heritage mm-hmm. in the uk and in birmingham where we are especially right um i can't i don't know I don't know about Barbadian um, heritage here. I've met way more Jamaicans than Barbadians. But um, there is a conversation about, you know, cultural retention in Barbados and not passing that on. Um, And then also, again, I can only speak about Barbados. I don't know about the other Caribbean islands. But in terms of drilling into people, their roots and their culture and their history, um, you know, even far back history before enslavement, that's not something that I feel like if everybody walks out or graduates knowing, um, 
leaving secondary school um, or primary school, that's not something that I think is very strong. And within the last, I would say, six years, they started, teach, they started taking maybe African heritage a bit more seriously. They started the African Awareness Month, and there's a day when everybody, all the kids dress up in their little kente cloth and their mm-hmm. little head wraps looking super cute. Um, and then they take that time to learn about, you know, history. And I, I find it so beautiful. They, mm-hmm. But that, again, wasn't happening 10 years ago or 15 right. years ago. So I think it's a real, hopefully, a paradigm shift in terms of yeah. where people are at in the island in terms of, you know, paying special attention to this history. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so we've done the comparisons between islands. Um do you think black people are in the UK are soft compa- uh, compared to the Caribbean islands? You think? <laughs> I, I, again, I can't say I that. Like. I, I can't say that. Um, if, if I were to suppose, which might not even be fair, um, I would say it doesn't depend on where you end up. It depends on where you're from. Right. So a Barbadian person who moved to the UK or let's say a Barbadian person still in Barbados would still be more passive than a Jamaican person that moved to the UK. Like, a, a Barbadian anywhere would still be softer <laughs> than a Jamaican anywhere. I think that's okay. just like how we were brought up. Right, okay. So, I mean... It's in the jeans, it's locked in. I think like... it's in the jeans. Like, Jamaican had the maroons, you know. I um, It's just not in our nature to right. be over the top. We're very subdued. Okay. And I'm speaking generally, which again, it doesn't apply to yeah, everybody. Of course, of course. But we're very subdued. Yeah. And we're not like the type to kick up a fuss about, uh, about anything unless we really need to. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really can't compare it, but um, I do find that if you go into a room of Caribbean um, people in the UK, you would find that maybe 60 of them are acclimatizing and have gotten um, accustomed to the to the lifestyle here. But you, I can promise that you could still see at the back of the room I hear Jamaicans talking. Like you would still know. <laughs> it would be, you would have to strain a bit to hear yeah. that the person is a Barbadian from my experience. Right, okay. Okay. All right. We're going to go into your next selection, which is Chronics. I know love. Why did you choose that one? So Chronics. I love Chronics. I I say that Chronics is the modern day Bob Marley. He can do so far. He's done no wrong in my eyes. Um, He, yeah. And that, that album that that one is from um, Chronology. That is one that the first the person who first um, advised me to listen to that album um, recommended it as Sunday spiritual listening, which I totally agree with. Even if you compare it with the album before Dread and Terrible, which was like this militant army crowd sort of thing, chronology is just sweet, is uplifting, like it touches your soul in a different way. And this song, I know love. I find it especially valuable. Um, I'm not a big, you know, Christian. I'm not. I'm not big into like religion and um, that and some particular types of spirituality. But that song just, just overcomes 
so many different belief systems to me. So the fact that I could feel that song, I could feel that song, not listen to that song, but I could feel that song and think about higher purposes and, you know, what, just a transcendence. Um, so I really appreciate Chronix for being able to connect me to things like that, although it's not something that I generally think about. Okay, here we go with Chronix, I Know Love. In the beginning, according to the old book say, there was nothing. Then the great spirit came down and said, let there be. It all began, yeah. It's still the ask where did the universe come from? Everything in existence, from the sky to the depths of the ocean, every shape, every color, every pigment, every sound and every vibration. This old earth, the solar system. Everything you also say. Right, now tell, tell the Reggae Uprising family a little bit um, more about people from your culture that may have inspired you. Ooh, people from my culture. You mean Bajan culture? Or? Yeah, it can be Bajan culture. It could be your African culture. It could be whatever you feel is your culture. What do you connect with? Well, culture comes from all over, I would say. Um, so as a black woman with many different heritages, I connect with other black women from whatever heritage. In some way, we're all connected. And if it is that we end up with kind of like similar philosophies or I can draw something from your philosophy or I can strengthen myself from something that you said, then I consider us all in the same boat. Um, to be honest, and this is going outside the Caribbean culture, one of my greatest role models is Toni Morrison, the African-American novelist who recently passed away. Um, and she was a writer, she was a mother, she was a lot of good things, and um, she just inspires me with her temperament, with her creativity, and her unwillingness to cater to anybody else besides the people that she was working to portray and working to represent. Um, yeah, besides that, my, some, well, I have a, a lecturer, actually, now that I'm thinking about this person, she reminds me so much of Toni Morrison as well. Um, I had a lecturer at university, I, I was studying linguistics at the University of the West Indies um, called Dr. Mar Martha Isaac. And also her wise kind of temperament, um, I think that's also something that I want to portray, that I'm constantly trying to portray um, as a black woman. And But then outside of that, just the more rebellious people. Um, we have two heroes in Barbados, Errol Walton Barrow, who we consider our father of independence. And he was probably the greatest leader that Barbados ever had. Um, so he negotiated and led us into independence, but then he still had these strong um, socially oriented views where he wanted to pull the people um, of Barbados up, um, kind of like a surge of inspiration 
for people who had come through independence, who were trying to work out their identity post-British rule. Um, and he has this incredible speech called the Mirror Image Speech, which everybody should listen to um, if they get a chance. But he basically challenges the people of Barbados to decide who they want to be and how they want to see themselves. And if they want to see themselves through somebody else's perspective or if they want to create an identity for themselves, um, which is very, very powerful. Um, we had a hero named Bassa as well, who, um, along with some others, he started an uprising on one of the plantations in Barbados. It was unsuccessful, um, but we have a monument, a statue to him now, um, and a very, po a very popular roundabout, which shows him arms up, this dark statue with chains hanging off his arms. Um, one of the best statues I've ever seen, honestly. And as a tribute to our, to rebellion and resistance. Um, but yeah, you know, I have a lot of inspirations. My father, you know, my mother, um, just anybody who stays true to themselves and who wants to leave a positive impact, really. Okay. Um, so what, what brought you over to the UK? What Tell us a, a shortened version of your journey over here. What was it like? Were you shocked when you got that first rush of cold and snow? <laughs> oh my and... <laughs> God. The cold here is something serious. Um, I, I had been to the UK once before, about 10 years prior to arriving here, just on a quick vacation to visit my grandmother. But... I came here because I was working at a TV station in Barbados as a reporter and I just realized that, and this is after I was working in a magazine and doing writing and writing was what I did and then I moved into digital broadcast and I realized that I just liked it so much and I began to like change the type of projects I was working on there. And I realized that I loved storytelling and I loved being able to put a story together. I was trying to make all of my reports into documentaries and they were like, Denise, you can't do that. Your story has to be two and a half minutes. This is five minutes. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? This is something I actually really enjoy and I want to do. So I've had a few moments in my life where I was like, right, about turn. We're doing something else. Let's try to find a way to make it work. So that was one of the... Um, situations I decided to apply for a scholarship to come here I applied the first time I wasn't successful I'm like let me find another scholarship found another one applied still wasn't successful I'm like I can't keep waiting to get a scholarship let me just try and go so I picked up and I found a way and I came here um, my father came down with me as well um, all I remember is standing on that platform at Houston Station with what I thought was a warm coat that I found out <laughs> was a joke. <laughs> I mean, this is a coat that if I put it on in Barbados, I would be burning up. Mm -hmm. And I put it on here and I was like, what is this? It was probably like a night coat. It probably felt like a night coat to y'all. Oh, it was so ridiculous. But I just remember they standing freezing at the station and going like, and seeing my breath in front of my face, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, let me. What did you 
So I I just remember being in Birmingham, you know, so, so I had not myself moving into my place and just yeah, it was it was totally different. But you know what? I loved Birmingham and I still do love Birmingham. Mm-hmm. I think his uh well, when I first got here it was calling it Birmingham. Before I got here it was calling it Birmingham as okay. a lot of foreigners do. But I realized that I just love it. I love the vibe. I love the energy. I love the um, the business that is not as cruel as London. It's still busy. It's dynamic, but mm-hmm. it's not it's not crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I settled in really well. I think. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm gonna ask you one more question before we go to your next selection. Um, can you tell us of your favorite food of Barbados that like when it gets cooked over here and you smell it's like ah home <laughs> um, my favorite food my favorite food to be honest is a good soup with dumplings in it okay Bajan dumplings in it so hold on what's what's Bajan dumplings Bajan dumplings well, as I, I know they they could be different, so you will have to tell me if they're different from yours, but it's just, you know, flour, sugar, maybe a bit of cinnamon if you want, a bit of salt. Just kneaded. Okay. With some water, just kneaded until they're, like, a bit tough. Right. And then you drop them in boiling soup. Are they round dumplings? Are they Round dumplings. Okay, yeah, round dumplings. Okay. Hard, too. They're not okay. sappy. They're, right. like, hard. Okay. Um, But you're going to knead them. Right. If you need them, then they get nice and hard. They can't be, they can't drop in like, ploop. They, they, they go <laughs> drop in, they go drop in and make a, make a good, a good drop. Okay. They don't just slide off the spoon. They go drop in. Right, okay. So, yeah, that, I could sit on and eat that all day. When I was growing up with my grand grand, she used to make the soup and then make like 20 dumplings just for me. Okay. So that I could have like, 10 dumplings mm-hmm. for my two bowls of soup. Okay. So that, I, that nothing can be a good hot soup with some dumplings in it. So the dumpling is the main component of the soup. Like the actual yes. soup is just the, the, the extra soup piece. Like the dumplings accompanies the, main the event. dumplings. Yeah. The soup makes the dumplings acceptable to eat because they can't just sit down <laughs> with a plate of dumplings <laughs> and eat them. <laughs> you got to have soup with dumplings. Okay. So I know that Jamaicans do a good soup too with some dumplings in it. A different dumpling, but I still do it. Mm-hmm. So I could still find it here like if I really wanted to. Right, okay. Okay, okay. Um, right, your next selection is Eric Donaldson, Peaches, My Love. Why did you choose that one? <laughs> so that song, I actually don't even hear that that often, but... That song sprung to mind when I was thinking about songs that are relevant to me. My father, whenever I hear that song, I think about my father. Um, that is a song that I remember, I don't even remember the time or the place, but my father is a very serious man that could also be very playful at times. So in the Caribbean or in Barbados, they have a habit of on Sundays, is when the men go outside and wash the car and play vintage reggae up high, high, high. Okay. Um, I can't say that we necessarily had that that culture in our family, mm. but on some few occasions, I would see my father outside 
reggae happens to be playing and he would be like dancing around and maybe it was such an odd situation and that's why it struck me as being odd yeah yeah. but i just remember that song playing and him just jaunting around and it being like really entertaining for me so that song always makes me smile when i hear it okay well i hope it makes everybody else smile (laughs) here we go with eric donaldson peaches my love career um your writing and journalism work how did that come about because that was before you came over to the UK right yeah how did that come about is that something you wanted to do from um being young as a child or there's something that sparked that that kind of inspiration to do that when I it's only when I got involved in it and I progressed in it I thought back to when I was a child and I remember me and my sister we would stay at home and like create our own books at that time it was like barbie goes to school and then we were writing books and we were like draw accompanying images on the opposite page and we would have we would label them like page one page two page three and then we staple them together so we kind of create our own books wow um Mm -hmm. but then when i when i got older like i was always good at you know writing compositions and i was the one to stay at home and read all the books in the house and when my books were done I would read my father's books and when those books so I was always a reader and I always loved books okay and when I got into my late teens I joined this um this group of young people who we had the guidance of the newspaper at the time um the nation newspaper to create a youth magazine Right. So I was one of the founding members of that magazine and I was also one of the editors of it. So that's when I got into more formal, you know, writing pieces and, and editorial and like doing some editorial work for a, a magazine, which was in the form of a paper. It came as a as a magazine within the paper, but where we actually, where that actually went out like to the entire Barbadian public, what we wrote, which was a really big deal to us at that time. Mm. And then after that, um, it was just natural for me to go into content writing for other different magazines and some other Caribbean magazines as well. And yeah, so it was a natural progression, I think, but I, it's always something that I loved and that came really naturally to me. So it was just transitioning that from written to spoken or to broadcast or something more virtual. Um, yeah, but it's it's all storytelling and all, you know, creating. So which out of the those mediums did you find the easiest and which was the most difficult you had to one where like one might have been that was just natural to you and the other you kind of had to learn how to get around it and how to do it for yourself? I would say they're the same, but definitely they're they're pretty much the same. They're pretty much on par with me. Um, but writing has different challenges associated with it. So um, 
actually, I think I'm slowly moving into like the more easier forms of broadcast, but it takes a lot more um, preparation work. So with writing, you sit down, you have to, you know, kind of put everything onto the page, make it make sense, you know, reshuffle some things and research some things, make sure they're accurate, that type of stuff. Um, it takes a lot of fiddling and then you end up having to write quite a bit, well, depending on what you're writing for. But then with TV, you know, scripts are a lot shorter because you're filling it in with words from other people. Um, and I mean, what you do with writing as well, but it's a lot more visual. So you just sit at a computer and you just go through it and you just fill in the words to make those, to make their words cohesive. It depends on the different forms of broadcast as well. If it's like news, you know, it's, it's, you don't have to do as much to piece it together besides research. But you know, if you're doing like TV, it might involve a lot more research beforehand. If you're doing documentaries, then that's also difficult. You have to basically script an entire thing. Um, to be honest, I said I said all are on par, and they are are all on par, but they're all difficult. Um, but I would say all of them do come naturally to me. I think S stringing um, bits of different stories to make it one cohesive story that makes sense. So this is a really hard question, but that's what I'm all about. <laughs> okay, let's go. So what would you say is the most um, meaningful or powerful story that you have come across whilst doing all of those medias? Is there one that stands out to you like, maybe one that you weren't expecting, maybe you were going into it for one thing and it kind of evolved on its own, you're like, wow, I didn't know that that was going to come from that. Or yeah. maybe it was one that you had full intention of, of rooting out a story and you got it and it, you know, you're really pleased that you managed to get that information out. Is right. There were a lot of those types of stories came when I was still working at the TV station, to be honest. Um, and in a way, I regret like the fact that I was still kind of a junior starting out because I think that I really would have liked to ramp up those stories at the stage where I'm at now. But I remember, for example, this one really made me feel like a, like a proper investigative journalist because we had one um, guy who came to the station one day reporting that he drove a, a minivan, a, a minivan like um, what we call a ZR, but a public van that picks up people. Um, and a public service vehicle and he was complaining that there were other PSV drivers that were um, playing his route that weren't supposed to so I did a story I put his complaint out and the very next day um, people came and like I guess they saw the story and they threw rocks at his van and like kind of targeted him after that okay um, and that yeah that became an issue um, one of the stories, though, that I feel touched me the most deeply, well, there was one that I did about Errol Barrow, um, just kind of a tribute to him and the importance of him as the father of independence. And a lot of the stories that I did involved a lot of archival footage. So I love to dig up through archives and see what people were saying um, before. So we had a lot of really prominent or people who went on to be really prominent Barbadians um, 
yeah, just speaking about the his value, the value that he added and all of that. And because that touched me and he's an important person to me, then I really enjoyed that. Also, um, as a self-proclaimed feminist, I did a piece on uh, life in leggings, which is a hashtag that began in Barbados, where um, it was started by a girl, a woman named Juanel, and she basically was drawing attention to catcalling and you know street harassment um, in Barbados. So I did a, a piece where I highlighted that and I was basically educating people on the measures, legal measures they could take if they felt harassed and that type of thing. Um, and that turned into a piece that went almost viral, um, which I felt good about because that was a message that I really had wanted to share. Um, so yeah, I think everything... And then beyond that too, I did some things that I felt really really spoke to me um, and spoke to the type of um, news I want to be associated with and the type of lessons I want to be associated with. Um, these might include climate change. Um, I wrote a piece for, um, for Caribbean, regarding Caribbean climate change called Islands Underwater, where I spoke about the importance of us um, understanding the impact that climate change is having on us because basically um, developing islands, small island developing states are the most vulnerable when it comes to raising waters for obvious reasons. Um, so yeah, the pieces that I that I hold dear to my heart are more dear to my heart than others. Wow, um, you're going to have to give me some of them links so yeah. you <laughs> can go look them up, definitely. Um, Right, we're going to move on to your next selection, I Wayne, Living in Love. Why did you choose that song? I was in love with I Wayne's voice when I was a teenager. Never saw him before, but how could you not listen to I Wayne and be in love with that voice? Mm -hmm. It's just a sweet, mellow voice. And he has other songs which I love as well. But again, this one is uplifting. Again, it is a cry for harmony. It is a cry for unity. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a song that I just, I just love to hear. I can't help but sing along. Okay, here we go with I Wayne living in love. I love to see my people living in love. I hate to see them fighting and swimming in blood. Love neglect the farming, scarring in the mud. Yet they want to be the first to reap the food as it burns. Oh, them fill the earth with peas and church and corals. Love the rum bar, yet them eat the pure rose. industry so what are your top three favorite commercial black films yes i'm Whoa, putting you on the spot you can yeah, see her face definitely. right now she's like oh no <laughs> luckily i watched this fantastic film um at the end of last year called atlantics okay um by matthew dot and she put together this beautiful film um set in dakar senegal and 
the film is basically about um, these young people um, in this in this you know in this city who are fighting with their well they're 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 fighting for to be paid really fighting for their wages um, they have a low wage construction job and the 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 boss refuses to pay them anyway I'm not gonna not gonna spoil it but it is a brilliant film and it is a beautiful film um, and if you get the chance you should go see it it's called Atlantics um, other black films I would I would like to promote all the films that I showed at, at Caribbean pop-up cinema um, which are some Caribbean classics like Harder They Come and Rockers um, yeah those those two are some classics if you want to understand what Caribbean cinema is all about Okay, so do you have three favorite underground black films, or like from? Because obviously you deal with a lot of filmmakers. Do you have any? I know it's like picking favorites, mm-hmm. and you're not supposed to do that, mm-hmm. but like you must have like a few that maybe people can go look out for. Long pause while I think. Mm. <laughs> um, the thing about it is, okay, so I do support. Um, Caribbean films and I do like to proclaim a lot of Caribbean films there are some good Caribbean filmmakers um, Caribbean films for right now are a bit underfunded and underrepresented so I know that people cannot do all that they want um, to do um, there are some really good Caribbean filmmakers coming out which I could send you the links for um, but in order to speak about feature films, I will probably have to go outside the outside of the region. Um, I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to see. Okay, um, but we can get those links. So I'll put the links in the descriptions yes. to people that we want to support. Definitely. Yes. Okay, that's cool. Um, so, what do you think is the most difficult thing? You kind of just touched on it um, for black filmmakers. You said. Was it financing that you said was difficult? Yeah, funding. This is funding. for yeah. This is for Caribbean films. For black films, um, if you're in the UK or if you're a UK filmmaker, I would say that now is a great time to be a black filmmaker, um, doing good work because right. there is a lot of funding involved targeted towards BAME or quote unquote diverse filmmakers. Um, what what was that? Sorry, B A M E. That's does... that is um, Black, Asian, minority, ethnic. Right. Okay. That's how in the industries kind of um, relegate um, minority filmmakers, a term that some people may or may not find problematic. Um, but the if it is that you are a Black filmmaker, um, serious about your craft, there's. You know, there's funding and there are opportunities available to you. There are um, subsidies available for training. Like, there's a lot of stuff. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I see that sort of stuff swimming around all the time. So if if anybody, um, I would just throw it out there, like, wants an idea of, you know, funding that might be available, I see it all the time. I'm happy to to pass it on. Um, if you are interested in getting involved in the industry as a minority filmmaker. Um, but yeah, so I would say, so outside of that, because if you take the funding away as a challenge, I would say you can't 
just because funding is there doesn't mean the people are going to come. If you are coming from like a background where, let's say you come from a, a household where is, you're not well off or your parents aren't well off um, as a result of anything, it could be, you know, institutional issues that you've had um, or otherwise, but you are not going to think about the arts or film as a viable opportunity. Your parents may not be encouraging of that because your family right now just needs to make money and arts is not something that makes money right away. Or even for a lot of successful filmmakers, they're not making a big bunch of money from their films. Um, so I would say um, even coming from a background that doesn't support creative um creative careers, that is a main challenge. So how then do how then do people make it feasible or sustainable for minority filmmakers who have had a hard time financially to see this as a potential um, you know, avenue? Because yes, you can give them money to train or to fund their film, but you know, but they might see a need to do something else to have an actual job where they can bring in income. So I think it's kind of like a, it is a, is the psyche of people also who for a while have been told that they don't fit into this industry, or they might go to one of these events and realize that they're the only person, the only minority person there. They don't feel comfortable. So it's just a, it's a, it has to be a wide-ranging and multifaceted approach to get, you know, people who look like me or you um, into spaces where they feel they can occupy it in a sustainable way mm -hmm. that is beneficial for them um, and where they feel comfortable to grow and to thrive. Okay. Um, like I said, I'm going to get a whole load of links off you okay. <laughs> and put them in the description. Um, so that people can do that most definitely because that's what we're all about here is connecting people um, we are going to move on to your next selection which is Sizzler Ain't Gonna See Us Fall why did you choose this song? this song is also I, I do appreciate Sizzler as well and this song falls in that category of I really living in love for me um it is a, yeah, you know, no matter what happens, we are going to be cool, you're going to be fine. Um, and whenever I go home, and I, I th was it this one? When I went home last time, and I was just, you know, driving along, and these songs came on, or this song came on, it just made me, I mean, I don't hear the song here. Not gonna hear this song on BBC Radio One, but where they what they listen to in my office. Um, so it's just it was just refreshing hearing it and feeling like yeah, you know, I'm at home. It reminded me of school. It reminded me of you know. It's just hard. It 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 just brought up a lot of good memories to me. So it's another one that I just like to hear. Okay, here we go with Sizzler. Ain't gonna yeah. see us. You know I love you. All my black people and all of my tops, all your little children and those women I love, they ain't gonna see us fall. They ain't gonna see us fall. Share all my riches and the sing for my fans. Love Mama Africa, let me see your hands. They ain't gonna see us fall. They 
it was appreciated by the audience and we got a lot of feedback after that with people saying they've never seen this type of film before the films were touching we had one from haiti um and basically we just want to be able to keep that momentum and be able to show yeah there are there is such a thing as a caribbean filmmaker and they are doing really good stuff um so yeah that's what the caribbean pop-up cinema is all about um if there's anybody that wants us to pop up in their venue, feel free. Um, if not, come along to our venue. Are you looking to travel with this then? Are you looking to do this in different cities? Fingers crossed. Um, I, would like to, I would like to be able to pop up in other cities in the West Midlands or in London or even in Reading where there's a large you know, Caribbean population. Um, yeah, happy to travel. That's the medium term, short to medium term goal to be able to pop up in other places because that's the convenience of having a traveling cinema really. Yeah, yeah. of course, of course. So the idea is if the people want it, like it can grow. We can as come. As, yeah. We can yeah. come. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Um, we're going to move on to another selection of yours, which is Bob Marley, Them Bellyful. Gee. <laughs> Why did you pick this one? So there's another, okay. So this is another one that reminds me of my father. So my father, I don't believe is a, he don't, I don't believe he's a big reggae man. Um, he might be, I don't know. All I'm saying is that I've never heard him listen to a huge amount of reggae when we were growing up. But for some reason, he had this Bob Marley cassette tape that he used to play nonstop whenever we were traveling in the truck with him. Okay. So uh, that was the peak time that I used to hear my father listening to and singing reggae. So there was this, yeah, this tape that he used to play nonstop, nonstop to the point when I had to play, Daddy, we can listen to the radio today <laughs> instead of the tape. <laughs> so um, this is just one of these songs from the track. And I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a song that is playful, but it still hits home a harder message. Um, yeah, I really enjoy it. Okay, here we go with Bob Marley's Ben Belly Full. Ben Belly Full, but we a hungry mob is a hungry mob. A rain a fall, but the joint it tough. A yatta yuck, but you'd not enough. You're gonna dance to your music. Dance. We're gonna dance to your music. Dance. Oh. Forget your troubles and dance. Forget your sorrows and dance. Forget your sickness and dance. Forget your weakness. Right, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of the interview, which I'm sad about because, like, you've got so much knowledge and inspiration. You're just wonderful to talk to, man. Um, this could go on and on and on. Hopefully, we can get you back at some point. Yeah. When um. Cinema has taken over the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Speak it. Um, right, but until then, I want to know um, what is the legacy that you would like to leave behind, either for your children or for the next generation? Mm. Well, that's easy for me to envision because I have a niece who is 10, okay. called Kylie. 
Um, she's my oldest niece, and a lot of the stuff that I do, I think about how do I want Kylie to remember me? Like, what example do I want to leave for Kylie? Um, so I just want, first and foremost, for one one thing, one main thing is, if you want it, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to many different cities and countries just pursuing what it is that I felt strongly about at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's go for it, don't be affected by what seems like limits, or what seems like challenges, or what seems like restrictions. Um, another thing is, if you can be good, be good. Um, think about why you're doing something, um, and if it is that you can help somebody, help them. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, s- s- stay strong for what it is that you stand for. Decide what it is you stand for and stay strong for what it is that you stand for. Because I guess, I mean, and people say this all the time, but even at the end of the day, if you don't end up where you want or you don't have what you end up wanting, at least you know that you never, you know, compromised and, yeah, you stay true to what you are and what you wanted. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't put it better myself. Um, we're going to finish off with your final selection, which um, is David Curtin, Green Camouflage. <laughs> okay. So Would you can... like to tell us why you <laughs> picked that one? <laughs> so that is the only Bajan song on that list. And I don't know if I remember, but if you remember, but there were two Bajan songs I put. One might be a bit tricky to find called... The quality was a bit... It was a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but this one, Green Camouflage, is just a a skanking song. So David Curtin is this this reggae artist from Barbados who, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have met and interviewed and some you know, and, and vibed with. But he is this um, really great, you know, writer and performer in Barbados. And that song, Green Camouflage, is just a trotting on sort of song. Okay. Um, also yeah. somewhat militant, which I like. And it's another one of those, like, Bajan songs that, you know, don't have many Bajan songs that people you know, play. There are lots of Bajan songs. Unfortunately, they don't get as much radio play as Jamaican radio, Jamaican reggae songs or Bajan soca songs. Okay. Um, but that's one that did break through and I heard that quite a lot going up. So whenever I hear it, I'm like, hey! <laughs> so, yeah, he, it's, just a, it's just a great song and he's a great guy and it just gives me good vibes all the time. Okay. Well, thank you so much um, thank you. for being a guest. Thank like I you said, so you've much. been inspirational. Most definitely, I've learned a lot. Um, hopefully, like I said, we can get you back. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we're going to leave um, with your tune. Thank you, Reggae Uprising family, for listening. I will see you next... Oh, sorry, you'll be listening to me <laughs> um, next Wednesday with another guest. I'm going to leave you with the signs of David Curtin, Green Camouflage. As always, blessed love. Give me the green camouflage for my peace march. Yeah, yeah. Green camouflage, we'll be unarmed. Some just fighting in big cities, taking out the innocent and the guilty. Mm -hmm. They no longer need 
hypnotize me on the TV with their vision of brutality. But 